a doctor in the house. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Yes, hallelujah, Dr. Batard really is in, but he's busier than ever. What is it with holiday season and docs, Dr. Batard? You were just in demand. I have no idea. I think everybody decides that uh, this is a time to get ready for their New Year's resolutions, and so everybody kind of starts doing things at the last minute. I'm not sure, but it has been literally crazy in the last week and a half, two weeks. I tell you what, one more one more visit in before, but if you're going to see a doctor, make it someone like Dr. Batar, who does Advanced Medicine Monday with us each each and every Monday here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. The links are up in the show notes to drbatar.com, including his international best-selling book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away, in fact. Now, the, the uh, today there's a lot of vaccine controversy. I want to get into that with you as well. So we got some great listener questions coming in. Uh, but first and foremost, let's check in on your dad who suffered a stroke a, a while back and you were, you know, we've, we followed his recovery and it's been amazing. I just, uh, if, if there are any updates, everybody wants to know. Well, Robert, you know, it's interesting that you said that at four weeks, which is exactly when I said that he'd be walking, he was already walking. But what's, what's interesting is I'm actually really glad you brought this up because what's interesting is despite the treatments, if certain other components, which some of us may take for granted or some of us may not even realize how important they are, are not addressed appropriately, things will not go the way you expected. So point in fact here, when my dad was walking, he was actually walking with swinging his right leg and he would have it angled laterally so it would actually be turned outwards as he would walk now this isn't how he normally walks and i started watching this because you know i wasn't observing my dad walking all the time most of the times this video that was sent to me and when i saw him he was either in the chamber he's staying in my brother's house so during the christmas break i start, you know i was spending a lot of time in my brother's house with the family all my family extended family was all in town in fact we were hoping to see you there but um, you weren't able to come by i guess because you got under fell under the yeah, I was I was I was coughing it up. I didn't want to give anybody pertussis. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably because you took too many vaccines before. Christmas oh, exactly, exactly. No, no, no. I I was looking up in the sky, and it was so funny because my my little girl has been coughing a little bit too. And when they asked her, you know, our family members not they know what we're all about, natural stuff. They're not necessarily, but they ask her, well, why are you coughing? And, and my little girl says, chemtrails. <laughs> they, they don't know what to make of that. That's funny. Well. Um, anyway, since we didn't get to see you, unfortunately, during the holiday break, we were hoping to. But while I'm at my brother's house and with my sister and her family and my own family and my um, brother's family, I'm watching my dad walk as he gets up and he's getting up everywhere. I mean, he's not using the wheelchair at all inside the house. He's getting up, he's walking, but he's still not walking normally. And he's walking in a very uh, methodical way. He's looking at his foot, but his foot is rotated out. So I asked him, I said, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm I'm walking. And everybody else is, you know, pretty happy. But I'm like, what are you doing? He said, I'm walking. I said, no, you're not. You're not walking. You're shoving, you're dragging your right leg behind you. You know, lift up your leg. He said, I can't. Well, my brother had told me he was actually lifting up his leg. But when I saw it, he's been lifting his leg laying in the bed. But he hasn't been lifting his leg when he's walking. So those are the hip flexion muscles. And if a muscle hasn't been used for 
a week, leave alone five or six weeks, it's going to go into atrophy. It's going mm-hmm. to start to deteriorate. So then I had him start to rotate his foot inwards, and he said, well, I can't walk that way. Well, long story short, in less than one hour of him just rotating his foot and walking normally, because my point to him was if you want to walk normally, you have to practice walking normally. If you walk dragging your leg behind you and swinging it out and Mm -hmm. then uh, externally rotated, then that's how you're going to start to create the new tracks in your mind. That's how your body's going to get used to it, and that's that's how you're going to walk. And that's not walking. That's dragging your leg. So the intention behind the movement is so important, and that's one of the things that my brother and I were trying to get across to my dad, which he now understands, and he has started doing those exercises. So, you know, hip flexion, you know, you think all this treatment, the treatment's going to bring a person back. Treatment's only going to plow the fields, prepare the fields, give adequate water, nourishment, but the seed has to still be planted, and the seed has to be nourished, and just by giving that uh, seed just the proper soil or just the water or just the sunlight is not adequate. You have to give it everything. In fact, some people even talk to their plants, and they say the plants are healthier when you talk to them. So the point being the intention has to be there. Despite the treatment, if your intention is not right, you're not going to get the desired result. Well, that's an important distinction here, too, that you can do everything right, and then it's a musculature. Or, you know, We talk about the nervous system, of course, as well, but the pathways that have to be almost rewritten in these cases – uh, there has to be a great desire on the part of the person who had suffered from it. And your dad has an indomitable spirit at this point, evidently. Of course, he's got an amazing family to support him the way that you all have. Uh, but his willingness to make that shift. But you also have to have folks that observe like you do and say, hey, dad, uh, you're walking a little funny here. Let's uh, let's correct it. Right. And, and And I appreciate you saying that, Robert. But that's exactly the point that I wanted to hopefully get across to the listeners is that Mm -hmm. you can do all the right things, but if your intention isn't right on, you can Mm -hmm. miss the boat. So always have that intention. I've actually even read in some of the self-help books as I grew up, my dad used to have us read Napoleon Hill, Andrew Carnegie, uh, you know, some of these um, people that have really had a lot of inspiration, provide a lot of inspiration for people throughout the ages and have actually been role models and have created very successful people with the right thought processes in their own minds. As I read these things as I grew up, I learned about the intention aspect. Well, I can tell you now in practice after 22 years, if an individual does not have the right intention when they come into the clinic to get the right outcome, if they're giving energy to words that are negative as opposed to words that are positive. If their intention, meaning if somebody says, well, I don't know if I'm going to be better because, you know, I've had this problem all my life and I just don't think it's going to be any better. Well, you've just given power to that negative thought and that intention is not there. It's lacking. You have to have that intention. Think of it as a road. You have to have a road leading to your destination, but if you don't have intention, it's like not having a road. You're in the middle of the forest and you have no way to get to your destination. Mm -hmm. So to me, it's a vital, vital part of being able to be successful in anything, but especially in healthcare, you must have that intent. And I recommend to people at the end of the day, sit down before you go to bed, just for a moment, even on the side of the bed, sit down and set the intention for the next day. What are you going to do the next day? And I'll tell you, when I don't do that, I just have one of those days the next day that it's, you know, you spin your wheels and you feel like you never got any traction. Yeah, and of course, with all the demands on your time, Dr. Batar, you, you've got to focus, I know, because I see where it's pulled all these directions. So, uh, listen, we were, we're talking about intention, too. 
The vaccine industrial complex has a very powerful intention, and it's not uh, subtle. I mean, it's in my mind, it's to deceive you. It's to deceive all of us into believing that an injection with toxic metals, uh, poisonous substances, is somehow going to help us. And they've been caught red-handed doing the nasty, doing the bad thing. And when this happens, uh, it's time for us to play our special theme song. Guess who's been caught, and you know what they are. Go ahead and play that, Tom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, the vaccine industry busted again. Dr. Batar, you're going to love this. Yet another vaccine researcher caught faking research as the vaccine industry is riddled with, of course, lots of scientific fraud. How often do you remember in your training, did they actually have you read the inserts of these vaccines long before you, you know, woke up to these realities? Never. Never. It's never, it's never, you're never asked to read it. You're not expected to read it. I've even had doctors tell me, oh, we don't give uh, injections of vaccines with uh, mercury in there. And you look at the insert, it says right here, and they look at it and say, this doesn't say anything about mercury. I'm like, it says thimerosal. They don't even know that thimerosal is ethyl mercury. Hmm. They expected it to say actually mercury as a preservative. So the few that do even bother reading it, they're not aware of the vaccine lingo, if you will. Yes. So... Yeah, th- th- this this is an amazing thing. This Dr. Dong Pyo Han from Iowa State University resigned this week after admitting he spiked rabbit blood samples with healthy human blood to falsely show that there were antibodies to, that would prove that his AIDS vaccine actually worked. And he had done it so efficiently that the NIH granted him $19 million in research funding before this came out. So he admitted it? He admitted it. Yeah, this was one of the times where, again, they're busted. He, he got caught, and now the NIH is looking pretty pretty uh, bad about, well, we scrutinize these things. We know better. No, evidently they don't. What's amazing to me, though, Robert, and this is no matter how despicable the medical profession is and the healthcare profession is and everything that we're doing in the vaccines and all this garbage, what is even more offensive to me mm-hmm. is that it's never heard on TV on radio, in newspaper, in magazines. Nobody talks about it except for mm-hmm. a few very, very dedicated uh, journalists that have integrity, like yourself and, and a few others. But why is it that when something this despicable is done, why is it that the mainstream media or any media doesn't get on the bandwagon and starts to bring the word out to the rest of the people? That's really what really irks me. Yeah, well, exactly. And, of course, what's going to happen to this guy that got busted? He resigned. Is he going to jail? Is he? No, you never find that these people that do this stuff ever get anything of a criminal nature thrown at them. It's all about, well, let's uh, let's put that back under the rug, because, of course, that would cause the need for the media to cover. Oh, my gosh, a vaccine researcher was put in jail for falsifying his study? We can't have that. And there's no punishment in that realm, even if... Even if the fraud ends up killing children, which it does with vaccines. We're on with Dr. Rashid Batar. It is Advanced Medicine Monday. Check out MedicalRewind.com if you ever miss one of our wonderful shows together, bringing information out like nowhere else in broadcast media. CEA, cancer markers. Are they really cancer markers? Next. You're listening to The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Bell Show.
questions of the day, and I love it when they're kind of directing toward an area of expertise uh, uh, Dr. Batar has, and of course there's a lot of areas there. This one's really cool because it goes into the realm of cancer and markers. You know, as a homeopath, I don't rely on these so-called blood tests, although I, I can read them a little bit. I've had enough experience that I know they sometimes can mean something. But more often than not, they can be distracting from what is real. And Dr. Batar, you know about these so-called CEA markers, the CEA marker tests? I do, Robert, and I'm not a homeopath, and I don't read them at all. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. See why we love you so much? See, this woman uh, who I met recently at at one of these events that I did, uh, said she's interested to know if you have an understanding of what this thing is, because in the allopathic world, they use these CEA blood markers or whatever to say, oh, my gosh, the number is high. You better get more radiation, more chemo, more surgery, when in fact they could be indicative of, of a, a, a healthy new growth. And I guess that's the differentiation here because she's a, an MA, she's a nurse, uh, she's got a, a master. I mean, so she, evidence that there are people now seeing through these blood tests. Yeah, Robert, I don't know whether it's necessarily indicative of, you know, a change in the right direction. I just know how unreliable they are. Mm. So I don't use them from from that perspective. So let's give a little bit of, at least I'll give you my perspective of this and my insight from my observations and my experience in it. Now, it very well could be that it's indicative of new, improved uh, status of the individual, but I guess that would be the same thing as saying that they're not reliable in the conventional sense of, uh, of the thought process because conventionally they say if the markers go up, it's worse. If it's going down, it's good, which is absolutely not the case. So let's look at two very common, very ubiquitous type of markers that are associated with cancer. One is alpha-fetoprotein, okay? The other mm-hmm. one is HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin. Now, can you tell me what alpha-fetoprotein and human chorionic gonadotropin are also markers for besides cancer? Uh, I believe pregnancy. Exactly. So <clears throat> I didn't do that the right way for effect. I'm actually supposed to say these two <laughs> markers off pregnancy, do you know what else they're a marker for? Right, so right. Can't, the, the reverse. But, but you get yeah. the point. The, mm-hmm. the reason that these particular markers are seen in pregnancies because what is a fetus? Well, it is something that is rapidly growing. Well, cancer is rapidly proliferating. It's the same thing. Uncontrolled cellular proliferation in a fetus as a baby is growing, it is controlled, but it's, it's rapid. It's a rapid proliferation. It's just in a more controlled manner. That's the only difference. Well, there are theories that the process of cancer, cancer releases alpha-fetoprotein and human chorionic gonadotropin in a attempt to fool the body's immune system to allow the body's immune system to see it more as something that's supposed to be there, i.e. a fetus. Like, mm-hmm. hey, don't bother me. I'm okay. I'm a good guy. I'm just a fetus. Even though it's maybe in a male, even though it's not normal for a male to have a baby, the immune system is noticing uh, an abnormality, and that abnormality is consistent with pregnancy, and so the cancer is releasing some of these markers. That's a theory, a, a thought process, which I have actually found to be probably more accurate than not accurate, meaning that if a cancer is growing, and we know that cancer is highly adaptogenic and highly mutagenic, it would be analogous to the shark or the alligator of the modern world. As you know, sharks and alligators are the remnants of prehistoric life forms mm-hmm. that roamed the ocean and roamed the land back you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago, but they were able to adapt mutate 
and survive. And that's what cancer does. It mutates, it's highly adaptogenic, and it survives. Well, how is it surviving? It's using, it's releasing the, these uh, markers to mimic itself as a fetus to prevent the immune system from doing its job. So that's just two of the cancer markers that are normally seen in pregnancy. CEA is as well, and CEA, there's many different types of CEA. The CEA-125, the CEA-125, I'm sorry, CEA. There's a mm-hmm. number of different uh, cancer markers specific for certain types of cancers in the body, but I just don't do them. The only time I'll do them is if a person came to me and they've been getting those CEA markers or right. various types of cancer markers, and then I'll get a baseline to measure what that marker was when we started treatment and to kind of follow it. So one of the examples, and I don't want to keep on rambling here, Robert, but I do want to talk about one of these examples that came up in my case with the medical board. But yes. Let me take a breath here while you respond to what I just said, because I don't know whether that answers the question. No, it does very well, and, and you can read about it. We've added the, the question of the day into the show notes if you want to get the details, because this, this nurse understood it and set the question up beautifully uh, in that regard. So when we come back, we're going to talk with Dr. Batar about another example that he wants to relate to us all. And again, you know, it's fine if you got blood tests, you want, but if you over-rely on them and ignore the other realities of natural healing, the things that we're set up to do by design, we could take those blood tests to our detriment. And that's not what we want to do here. We're empowering you with uh, ways to heal, ways to look at healing, and that's why we do advanced medicine each and every week with Dr. Rashid Batar. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Bell. He has both style and substance. Robert Scott Bell. 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 How much power do talk radio hosts really have? This is transformational, and it's awesome. The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. Scott Bell Show. And it is Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Bittar, uh doing the things in the broadcast media that they, if they tried it elsewhere, they would get hurt, and then they would have to call on Dr. Batar. Help us! Help us, Dr. Batar. <laughs> Now, you, I didn't know that today was going to be a comedy show, Robert. Well, you know, we always try to lighten it up, a little humor at the end of the year. Consciousness is continually shifting, but then again, the threats to health freedom are, are unrelenting as well. So we must, uh, you know, raise the alerts wherever we uh, we find them and, and, and speak out. As we say, the old media is not. Even when Katie Couric does a little bit right by spotlighting two families of vaccine-damaged children, uh, the next day they get, you know, she gets yelled at by big big pharma and she backs down. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we're not going to be backing down. We never have. We never will. And I know you won't either. Uh, and uh, and this could do it with a little bit of humor is always a, as a nice way of doing it, too. Yeah. A spoonful of humor helps the uh, Advanced Medicine Monday go down. <laughs> yeah. And actually, it's the eighth step in the book. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the eighth of the nine steps. Very good. Yep. Now, you were ta- we were talking about the unreliable uh, cancer marker test. And you had mentioned it in relation to the attacks that came to you from the medical board. I believe in North Carolina, that you had a story to share. Yeah, actually, one of the cases, it was all to do with cancer patients, as you know, and there were supposedly four complaints, all four complaints were from people that have never been patients, never been to the clinic. Two of them have never even been to the state of North Carolina. I've never talked to them, never emailed, no no, no, no communication whatsoever. But 
one of those four cases was regarding a patient with ovarian cancer. And I'll just give you a quick brief history. This woman had been on chemo for two years before she came to me, stage four, and she had been told that uh, she had, I believe she was given like two months left to live. And pretty bad, uh, already into early renal failure. Her liver functions are already up. So she was in the last phase. And uh, when she came to me, she'd had a CA125 CA marker. This was ovarian cancer, and CA125 is one of those markers for cancer, but specific to the ovaries and to the uterus. And so they use it in basically the in that area of the body as far as ovarian, uterus, endometrial, they'll use a CA125. So what was interesting with her was that she said she'd already had one of those tests. She had been following those tests, and she had a sheet with all these tests that had been done for her over the last four years, the last two of which she'd had continuous low-dose chemotherapy. And you saw these CA125 markers, you know, 2.5, 7.9, go all the way up to uh, 1,000, 1,500, and then drop back down to 500, 400, then 200, then go back up. And she was just fascinating back and forth. So when she came to me, she'd already had the last one done. It was the highest one that she'd ever had. It was over 2,000. It was like 2,200. So she did the initial consult, and then about two weeks later decided she wanted to start treatment. Well, when she came for the treatment, we ordered a CA-125. She said, well, I just had one done a month ago. I don't want to get it done again. I told her, I'm sorry, I can't treat you without that you're doing it. And she said, well, I just had it done a month ago and it was the highest it's ever been. And I just don't want to have it done. And I told her I could not see her unless she had another one done. Now, why would I do that if it's not a reliable marker? Medical legally, I had to do it. And I'm so glad I did because it came, it came to fruition four or five years later when the medical board brought this particular case up. So I insist that she has to have it done or I can't treat her. She says, okay, she gets a treatment, she gets the test done, and her test comes back at over 10,000. So in four weeks, it went from 2,000 up to 10,000, right? Now, we start her treatment. Within three weeks, it's dropped down to 6,000. Now, remember, I don't do these markers normally, but mm-hmm. because she'd had a history of it, I said, okay, we got it. we're going to do one, and we do her treatment, and it's down to 6,000 in three weeks, and then... She, because she wasn't compliant, because she wasn't listening, we had some arguments where the patient was simply not doing what I had asked her to do. And I told her, I said, look, if you want to die, you, that's your choice, but you're not going to die on my watch. And she was given, like I said, uh, less than two months, I believe it was, it was when she came to us. But her liver and the kidneys stabilized during our three weeks of treatment. And she actually lived for about another year. I think she lived for uh, about almost 13 months. Now, Fast forward three, four years into the future, whenever it was, the medical board gets this case, and then the medical board makes a big deal out of it. So mm-hmm. now we're in front of the hearing, and they have their expert witness. And the expert witness starts talking about how it was irresponsible for me to do any kind of treatment on a patient that has a 10,000 CA125 marker because that person should be referred to hospice. I was obvious that I was just taking advantage of this patient, blah, 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 blah. Goes through this entire cascade of how reliable the test is, how this it is, how that it is. So then my attorney says, so are you saying that that this, you've reviewed all the charts, by the way, and he says, yes. By the way, he reviewed over 1,800 pages of medical documents in one hour. So they're talking about the cancer, the CA125 marker specifically, and 
they asked this guy how reliable it is. And he said, it's extremely reliable. It's this, it's that, it's the other, it's, you know, it's the gospel. And if you have 10,000, it, it can never, it, at that point, you can't do anything. He said, anything over 5,000, the person's done, it's pointless to even to do anything. And they said, what about a 10,600 value? And he said, absolutely. Anybody who does any kind of treatment is wasting the patient's time and taking advantage of the patient. So then they asked him, did you review the charts? Yes, I reviewed the charts. Have you ever had any head trauma? Have you ever lost any consciousness? Have you had any amnesia or anything like that? And, of course, the doctor said, no, no, of course not. So then they say, you reviewed these records. Can you look at this record and tell us what you see? Give us the date. So he reads out the date. Then they say, how long after the first cancer market was this done? And then the doctor starts realizing, oh, shit. I, excuse me, can I say that on the air? I, I hope we had enough time to believe that. <laughs> that was from a doctor. So it was a doctor. Well, basically, what happened was, and I'll try to cut this short, the issue was that in three weeks, that cancer market comes from 10000 down to 6000 This guy had already said that that's impossible, nothing can happen, you know, that's a waste of time. And then when they said, would you consider somebody who can drop the 10000 down to 7000 as important? And he said, it's impossible. He said, if it was possible, could you do it? Oh, well, that would be a new miracle. That would be a new treatment uh, that would revolutionize cancer therapy. So then they're having him look at the piece of paper that he says already that he's reviewed, but obviously he hadn't, three weeks later from the 10,000 down to 6,000, and then they ask him, well, what do you have to say about this? You just said that this was revolutionized treatment. This dropped 4,000 points in the CA125 market in three weeks. And immediately, this guy, you can tell, he's panicking, and then he says, well, you know, it's, it's not that reliable of a test anyway. <laughs> Oh, he went really? from one extreme to the mm-hmm. opposite extreme by saying it's not a reliable test when using their own methodology proving that, okay, well, then based upon your definition, our treatment was not only efficacious, it was far more efficacious than anything else, and by his own words, was revolutionary. It would revolutionize the cancer industry. And then as soon as he sees, oh, I just screwed up and mm-hmm. made the statement I shouldn't have, immediately says, well, the markers aren't that reliable. Wow. So the admission is there when it's convenient only. Uh, and at that point, he was caught uh, dead to rights, so to speak. And, and much like the uh, the vaccine fraud that we see, they're having to backtrack on these issues. But the science is not on their side. The healers exactly. understand this. The real healers understand this, whether they be medical or non-medical. And that's that's the case here. Now, I've got another question, and this comes in uh, actually from one of our listeners. Says Robert, OSHA skin test for all employees is a condition of employment. This kind of sounds interesting, like the the mandate mandatory flu shot, but this may be a little different. That's why I want to get your perspective on it because this is not necessarily a vaccine. They're trying to detect whether you may have been exposed or are a carrier, if I'm not mistaken, on this TB test. That's correct. <clears throat> the TB test is essentially looking for a reaction on the skin. If you have a dermal reaction, it indicates that you've had exposure because there's some type of uh, immunity already built in. The body's responding or having a reaction to the antigen, so to speak. There's no real concern as there is in a vaccine, Robert, because there's no Mm -hmm. preservatives or anything like that in the actual skin test. What is a concern, though, And there are cases reported where people who were not exposed to TB after having the skin test have Mm -hmm. actually developed TB. You know, that's interesting because it raises the question of immunocompromised uh, uh, 
patients to be. Let's just that's say, right. you're, you know, you're just a worker, but you don't know. And they give you this test and they say, well, it's inactivated, but is it really? I mean, how reliable is that? They use this thing called tween 80 or polysorbate 80 as a stabilizer with 0.28% phenol. Again, they're not really going intra, uh, uh, it's certainly not intravenous. I mean, they are piercing the skin slightly enough right. to create some sort of response to it or elicit some sort of response potentially. And I will say tuberculosis is not an easy infection to get. You have to be immune compromised. Uh, exactly. It's not something you yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Robert. You have to be immune compromised, and that's, that's a very key component because how many people who have dental amalgams mm-hmm. all right, that have been given vaccines, so they already have high levels of metals in the systems, and if they're in a non-excreter, if they have a genetic predisposition for the inability to excrete, they will have a compromised immune system because they've got heavy metals on board. Right. Or if they have exposure to persistent organic pollutants, the fluorinated hydrocarbons, the organophosphates, the benzenes, the toluenes, these chemicals that we call persistent organic pollutants that are found in the insecticides and the pesticides and the preservatives, etc. What if they've been exposed to that, which most of the population has, and if their body can't clear those substances, then what's going to happen? They're going to be immunocompromised. Again, in the... On facts on toxicity, we have those seven toxicities, which I also talk about in the book. If you have those seven toxicities, by definition, your immune system is going to have a burden that's going to make it more susceptible. And therein lies the issue that if an individual is being given one of these tests and they are immunocompromised, you hit the nail right on the head. That's mm-hmm. the situation that we've got to be worried about. That's the risk. So uh, right. if you're going to be mandated for employment, again, there are worse things to have happen, but be certain that you're doing things to modulate immunity. And how would you know what that is? Well, read the book, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. For one, that'd be your moment of duh. <laughs> and and beyond that, of course, look for 2014 for Advanced Medicine Seminars. We don't have any officially on the schedule yet, but we actually have a link. If you're interested in hosting one in your city, uh, go to the show notes today at robertscottbell.com. We'll check that out, and we'll get you plugged in. But the TB issue, it's a real infectious scenario. It kills more than any other infection, although it kills those who are severely immune compromised, nutritionally deficient, heavily toxic, living in certain arenas around the world that uh, they don't predict here in the United States yet. As you say, with all of the immune-compromising metals at non-excretors, the simple act of testing for it could result in the disease. That is of a concern. So we're going to take and I'll a... Tell you, Robert, mm-hmm. just as Real a quick. quick uh, I'm sorry, I just got to say one other thing. That it would not be, if, if you're concerned, if you're a healthy person and your concern is to be exposed to this, you should have a concern, but it's certainly not nearly as mm-hmm. devastating as a vaccine or anything like that. I mean, to me, if well I was said. given a choice, I had to take one or the other, I would take the TB rather than take a vaccine. The test. But the okay. x-ray is a, is, a, is a standard. I mean, that's no, the gold yeah. standard to see if you've got any kind of issues. And that's, this person actually had... All right, we got to take a break, Dr. Batar. We're going to be okay. back. There's another question about vitamin K shots for your infants after this. The revolution will be broadcast. The Robert Scott Bell Show. off the week each week here on the Robert Scott Bell Show, Monday through Friday, 3 to 5 through naturalnewsradio.com, our syndicator GCN, rebroadcast around the world in the UK and, of course, Australia. And Dr. Batar, uh, he's a hero and a champion for many of us here uh, because he stood up for what is right, not back down. 
and coward in fear, never, no. And, of course, we appreciate him that, that much. And the nine steps to keep the doctor away, you can read about it. It's kind of, it's kind of like a treatise. You know, you, you, get, you get that perspective, you start living it, and you're going to live healthier. We were talking about the TB test. We got another question coming in a moment. But, Dr. Patari, you mentioned the X-ray issue associated with tuberculosis. What were you heading toward? Right. I just wanted to make sure that the person who asked the question understands that what he requested, which was the X-ray, that really is the gold standard, whether you've got an issue with TB or not. So I'm a little surprised that they first agreed to it and then they reneged on it. So that may be something that he should pursue if, if he's really concerned about it, which I right. think it's justified to be concerned. Yeah, very. and by the way, my mentor in homeopathy all those years ago, he started in the 1960s when he was given up for dead because he indeed had a manifestation of a full-blown tuberculosis case. And the doctor said he was too sick to recover with regular, what we call allopathic medicine. Even the homeopaths at the time gave him up for dead. But he didn't quit. He found a way to heal himself based on uh, working with the liver, the intestines, the terrain, right? The concept we always talk about here, restoring health to the function of the body, detoxifying the poison from the body. And lo and behold, he was alive 30 plus, 35, 40 years later. That's awesome. Yeah. So next question goes back to infancy. Dr. Bachar, we talk about vaccines and things. This is, again, another vaccine direct, but it is an injection issue. They, it, they want to inject all of the infants automatically with a vitamin K shot to, to be sure that they, their blood is clotting properly on the rare instance that somebody has a deficiency here. Yeah, vitamin K is also a concern because of, in the past, that there have been preservatives used in vitamin K. Um, I would recommend to an individual that they need to review the issues with vaccines. And if they're concerned about vaccines, then they should be concerned about the vitamin K. And looking at the insert to make sure it's thimerosal-free would be Mm -hmm. one place to start. But, you know, vitamin K is part of the the fat-soluble vitamins A, E, D, and K. And it is important to have vitamin K in order for the extrinsic pathway to work, the clotting pathway to work. Um, The issue, though, is that how many people really have a vitamin K deficiency and do the benefits outweigh the risks in a situation of, you know, something that could potentially have a problem versus introducing something to the body that has a preservative that could have significant uh, issues like thimerosal, for example, and just and I'm sure people that have been following us, Robert, for the years, last mm-hmm. three years, they've heard this ad nauseum about the vaccine, the preservatives, thimerosal. But I just want to quote from the material safety data sheet from the manufacturer of thimerosal, which is Eli Lilly, from the material safety data sheet in 1991, and that is that thimerosal is a known neurodegenerative neurotoxin associated with severe neurological deficits, including but not limited to mental retardation. Mm. So this is something that if thimerosal is in the vitamin K, I would absolutely, I would absolutely Mm. not take it or allow any of my children to take it. But if you're not concerned about vaccines, and if you listen to the show and you think we're all crazy because, you know, (laughs) we don't believe in vaccines, then you don't have anything to worry about. Yeah, knock yourself out, but we won't want to knock your infant out in this regard. And, of course, remember, the subcomponents in any vaccine may contain that thimerosal even if they claim the entire shot is mercury-free. So Exactly, yeah. exactly. That's already been Congressman Dan Burton 
did a congressional hearing on this. They did four different batches from four different vaccine manufacturers, and they found that all four of them contained thimerosal, even though they were labeled thimerosal-free. So that is a mm-hmm. very good point. Now, vitamin K is not a vaccine, and so I don't think that normally they put thimerosal in vitamin K anymore. Mm-hmm. But that is something you should definitely look at. And vitamin K, anything that has a preservative in there in a newborn infant, you know, I have an issue with. Sure, absolutely. And, and if you don't need to pierce the skin ever, you don't want to. There's no reason to do so. Of course, technically, you could give this orally as a supplement. So why is it in a shot? I mean, that's another big question. Yeah, and I think the reason they do that is because the alimentary tract is not developed enough in a child. In an infant, in fact, for the first year of life, the gastrointestinal system is still developing, which is another interesting point because the natural way of eliminating mercury is through the alimentary tract. But yes. if it's not even fully developed in the first year of life, then why are we they violate it the first day on the planet? Hey, 2014 is almost upon us, Dr. Batar. The big event right now as we look to the new year, and there will be more that we add to it, is Autism One in Chicago in May. Last week, we covered it a bit. We've had uh, the folks from Autism One on. We're going to do that some more big-time events. Those of you usually like the Health Freedom Expo up there, come on down to Autism One. Dr. Batar, thank you, my friend, for being here. I know how busy you are. You help me remind each and every one of you out there that the power to heal is yours. Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell Show.